0: Hello and welcome to Film Pulse Podcast This is episode number 365 My name is Adam Patterson With me today we've got Kevin Rankstraw Hey Kevin Hey How you doing?
1: Oh yeah, whatever
0: Just just living in this world
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Just, yeah Just doing what yeah. we can uh, This week on the show we'll be taking a look at Josh Trank's Capone We'll also be going over Someone watching on the watch list And new releases on VOD and Blu-ray Thank you so much for joining us this week Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be super helpful. Uh, a couple of housekeeping things. There will be no Ryan watches a movie this week. He was unable to record, but we hope to be back with that next week. Fingers crossed. And we are recording a new episode of Saved by the 90s this week. Uh, that should be coming out, um, we'll say next week, but stay tuned. I'll send out uh, an announcement about that
1: mm-hmm
0: uh there's gonna be a video that comes with that like a supplementary video that I that i'm working on that will come out with the new save by the 90s we're doing tv adaptations just to give you guys a little s- spoiler as to the no lineup boy. so we're doing the flintstones movie we're doing casper mm-hmm. we're doing casper we're doing yep. Mission Impossible, and we're doing uh, Tales from the Dark Side, the movie.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, these were mm. these, these were these were all released in May throughout the decade. And as a bonus, now the Flipper movie starring Elijah Wood that also came out in May. However, it's more so a remake of the original Flipper movie from 1963. So we didn't oh. we didn't count that, but just. Just because we didn't want to completely forget about Flipper, we're going to be talking about The New Adventures of Flipper, which was a TV series from 1995. Yeah. So stay tuned for that. I just got done watching that show, and uh, yeah, it is it is very 90s. It is very much a 1995, or maybe it was 94, 94, 95 uh, show, like 100%. Hmm. Uh, Early role for Jessica Alba She was one of the main characters in that She was going by She was going by Jessica Marie Alba Gotcha Let's get into this review So Capone, as I mentioned, is is written and directed by Josh Trank This came out on VOD on Tuesday, I believe, last Tuesday I have a synopsis here The 47-year-old Al Capone, after 10 years in prison Starts suffering from dementia And comes to be haunted by his violent past. Now, uh, this this one is a bit of a doozy. Now, I think you and I both kind of had an idea of what this movie mm-hmm. was, right? I know I did. Yeah. Because there were there were some rumblings on Twitter about this movie. So when I when I heard these rumblings, I was like, you know what? I think I got to check this thing out. So we had talked about it, and we're like, you know what? This is this is the one. So Kevin, why don't you start us off? Or were your initial impressions of Capone?
2: Uh, this is something else, <laughs> but it's also unfortunately one of those movies that it's not just batshit shit and like it is to a certain extent, but like it doesn't take it far enough. And for the most part on the surface and just everything that there is just, oh man, just not worthwhile at all it's just very standard filmmaking extremely boring
0: i found it to be excruciatingly dull at times like yes so th- this is as the synopsis says this is it, it exhibits it's the final year of al capone's life and you have tom hardy playing al capone and by this point he is he's completely gone mentally he had Apparently contracted syphilis when he was like 15 years old, and it went completely untreated. So it, it turned his brain into mush. And I also read—I don't know if they talked about this in the in the movie—that he was being treated for this for his syphilis when he was in Alcatraz, and they were injecting him with mercury to treat his syphilis. So, mm-hmm. you know, that probably made him go insane. Also, so it was, it was like there were multiple things happening here. Now he also has a stroke in this too. Yeah. So, I mean, he's just, his brain is just completely gone. So so I think the problem is the bulk of the movie is just him sitting around grunting, shitting his pants. And yeah. there's not enough substance <clears throat> here. You know, it says here he, he comes to be haunted by his violent past and That's kind of true, but it doesn't really say anything, you know, like it's not, it's not like a, a tale of him asking for redemption or him being punished for his crimes or anything like that. It's just this really slow moving, depressing tale of this man's final moments on earth. And I just don't
1: think
2: there's enough here. No. And the thing that irritates me about this approach is one okay it's interesting enough that you're going to do this kind of subversive take where you take someone that's like probably the biggest like archetype of a gangster in films right pretty much all gangster movies are based off al Capone right a certain you know like time period and even ones in the present day or you know whatever it's still like loosely based on Al Capone. You're kind of using him as the blueprint, right? So here you're taking that and you're like, well, we're not actually going to do a gangster movie. We're going to do the last year of his life when syphilis has completely eaten his brain. That's what we're doing. So you're like, oh, okay. So it's not going to be a gangster movie. I see what you're doing. You know, you're taking this guy that's bigger than life, all these movies made about him, and you're going to show him like, you know what? What eventually happened to him in the final year of his life? You know where he was completely rendered. You know into nothing essentially. But then the whole you know being haunted by his past just feels like an excuse to be like, oh, let's put in gangster stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, you have, like, there are, like, shootouts and stuff in this movie. There is violence in this movie. It's not, there's not
2: much, but it is, it is here. Yeah. And it's a whole, like, either, you know, flashbacks or him, like, walking through his memories or just, like, completely fabricated things, which, that was another thing that got me, because there's a, a certain thing that's introduced early on, which when you look back on it, it's very odd the way that it's introduced. And then you come to find that this person's not actually there. And it's like, well, that doesn't make, any it doesn't sense. make any like, sense. Any of this- <laughs> it doesn't make any
0: sense because when that character is introduced, it's completely separate from, from Al Capone. So why would we, yeah. why would we get that kind of character introduction to someone who is not real? Like that, that, yeah. that, that to me, I was like, why? Like what, What's the point of that?
2: And I don't, it, this, I mean, this, I guess, is kind of spoilery, so you can cut this if you want. But the, the fact of, like, the way we're introduced this person is through a sex scene.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, why? Like, there's ghost sex. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and how's <laughs> the whole boat thing happen? Right. I don't get that. Wait, and what's the point of the boat thing? Outside of him just being like, I hid money. Like you couldn't have figured enough. Was that just an excuse for him to shoot an alligator?
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: maybe. I mean, that that's the other. So his mind has been ravaged. He is not coherent at all. He has his, his faculties are completely gone. And the other, the other side of this movie is that they're trying to figure out where he hid all his money because at, at his peak, he was Al Capone was making 100 million dollars a year and because he was paranoid and he didn't have anything to do with like all this money that was flowing in he would hide it he would bury it he would keep it in safety deposit boxes around the the world like in Cuba and stuff like that and after he got dementia uh he couldn't remember where he put any of the money and nobody was able to get it out of him so that's like a, a big to this day that's a huge mystery no one ever recovered his mm-hmm. his millions and millions of dollars but I didn't think that that was a big plot point in this either like they they allude to it quite a bit but they never really dive into the whole money no, no. thing I mean they, they, it's, it's always amazing. sort of on the back burner but they never really do anything yeah. with it they
2: don't really do anything with anything <laughs> Let's be honest no <laughs> Nothing. And then, you know, there's another like completely fabricated, I guess. Um, hell, I don't know what the hell you would want to call it, like dream sequence. But it's like what's going on in his mind when he's like tapped out from a stroke, mm-hmm. which is just an excuse for him to walk around with a gold plated Tommy gun. Yes, yeah. just. It feels like it goes against what the point of the movie, or at least what I thought the point of the movie was. Like the only interesting angle of this movie it's it's funny like, you know to not make it a gangster movie, but then you just keep coming up with excuses to just completely fabricate gangster scenarios.
0: It's funny that this movie comes out so close to the Irishman because I think that the Irishman had similar themes in that in then in that that movie takes us through the career of a gangster from, from beginning to end, essentially. And we see what a, a life in that, in, in that business does to someone and how it alienates them and how they they end up, they're left, they're left with essentially nothing and all of it was for naught, you know? And I yeah. think that in Scorsese's movie, it, it deals with that topic in a lot, in a much better way than Capone. I appreciate oh, yeah. I appreciate what they were going for with this movie. I mean, from what I understand, this was sort of a, pa- a passion project for Josh Trank, and I- I'm happy that he was able to see his vision, you know, come to fruition. It didn't necessarily work for me, but I think that there are some interesting things held within this movie. I thought that some of the sequences were pretty effective visually. Um, I particularly liked the scene when he is in the water and the, the alligators like right between his legs. I thought that looked really cool.
2: No, thank you. No, thanks. I didn't like anything about this. movie. I I thought it was just extremely dull.
1: And just, well,
2: um,
0: I I agree for the most part, but I I thought there were some, some okay visual cues. The editing I thought was a little wonky, particularly like conversations and how they would, cut during conversations i thought was a little too f- frenetic like it felt almost sloppy to me
2: yeah they do some of the which i'm that maybe that's the, the issue here because i didn't realize they drank, that trank did the editing himself probably a ill-advised
0: oh i didn't know he did that advice. either actually
2: <laughs> yeah that makes sense Probably should have went to a natural editor.
0: <laughs> like the shot reverse shot stuff, I didn't think looked
2: it, great. <laughs> it reminded me a little bit of the like the viral videos of the Bohemian Rhapsody. Like not as bad, obviously, <laughs> yeah. but there was. But there was a couple of scenes where it was just like back forth, back forth, back yeah forth. yeah. It's just like, Oh my God.
0: Yeah. Not, not as bad as Bohemian Rhapsody, but still, it was still noticeable for me where I was just like, Ugh. like I, I'm pretty susceptible to a lot of quick cuts to begin with. I don't like a lot of cuts in movies. So I was, it, it was bothersome to me. Um, now, I, I think that we should also mention that LP does the score for this movie such as as it is. And it was funny because you sent me a message and you were like, was there even music in this? (laughs) And I'm (laughs) like, you know what? I didn't notice a single, I didn't notice anything in this as far as music. Like, I'm just not sure.
2: The only thing that I can tell is there's two songs on the end credits that are his. And both of them are fantastic, especially the first one. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Absolutely incredible. But I didn't like you can be credited for a score if you only do because he did that for Fantastic Four. He did the like the credits music or whatever. And I was just kind of expecting something, is he, you know, like throughout the movie. But is he credited as the I don't think he is.
0: Um, I, I gotta look this up because if it says LP under like composer for Fantastic Four. Oh, okay, no. I was going to say he
2: just did he just did like the the song you know that plays over the credits that he wasn't you know it wasn't a score thing but then that's pretty much what Capone is but yet he gets the original score I'm just like did I miss something because that was because I pretty early on I was like okay this movie is not for me at all I'm going to try and focus in on this score because that should be good but Again, I don't, I don't know if I just like completely missed it, but I didn't really hear anything outside of the credits.
0: No, I, I, I didn't notice anything as far as the music goes. Uh, I mean, I, I think that maybe the one thing that most people probably gravitate towards when talking about this movie is Tom Hardy's performance as Al Capone. Uh, now, mm-hmm. on this show, we've talked before about Tom Hardy's ability to effectively uh, grunt and make a lot of guttural noises and he, he is in rare form in this movie. Absolutely rare form.
2: Yeah. I put this in the pantheon of, um, performances in the vein of like, welcome to New York with Gerard Depardieu. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
2: You know, his performance and what was the other one? Um, I can't remember what the was title. the what was the
0: the Tom Hardy movie that we talked about? His grunting.
2: I'm not sure, but the other movie that I'm thinking of is uh, Mr. Turner, with Timothy Spall's grunting. Oh yeah, you, you know him playing Jim W. Turner, yeah. and just kind of grunting and you know cleaning his throat, making a lot of guttural noises and whatnot. But yeah, it seems like uh, Tom Hardy's doing a lot of relying on the grunting. Where, and that's all it is here. And it's not a lot, though, either. Really, like he's not really doing a whole lot in this movie.
0: Not really. Just a lot of like sitting and staring, holding his holding it, mm-hmm. puffing on that cigar, and then later the carrot, and just kind of hanging, yeah. just kind of hanging out there. No thanks. Yeah, it's. Uh, I would say it's an interesting concept for a movie, but unfortunately, it's one that that doesn't necessarily work for me. Maybe if they trimmed it down a little bit, but, but even then, like all of the gangster stuff in it, I, I mean, I imagine that they included that just to liven it up a bit, but because you know that all of this is like just fantasy, like in his head, it all feels very pointless. And yeah, as you and said before, only, it goes against sort of the, the whole ethos of the movie.
2: Yeah. It's it's like, it's completely antithetical of what the movie was going for. I don't. I'm just kind of confused as to what
1: this is supposed to be.
0: Do you think it would have worked better if a lot of it was set in like flashback, where he's like sitting there thinking about, you know, where where these memories that come flooding back, and they're more more so presented in a
2: flashback style? I I have no idea. I don't I don't know if this works anyway. <laughs> anyway, anyway,
0: anyway, shape or form. You Anyone look typical. at this.
2: Like, I don't know who is, and especially in terms of if you're looking at a movie where you're saying, okay, I'm going to do someone, the main character has a syphilitic mind, right? Just completely ravaged, right? I don't think you can make that movie in conventional filmmaking terms. Like, it has to be experimental.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, his brain's dead. It's just mush.
0: So do you, think, do you think that that was maybe part of the problem where... The, the the surreal moments in this weren't maybe maybe weren't numerous enough, and maybe you weren't surreal enough. Perhaps
2: I think it's just also it's ill advised to base you know your main character has a syphilitic mind. because I don't think I don't think any of us know what that is. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like I don't. He probably doesn't even have memories. He's not going to have flashbacks of shootouts and shit. That's like, true. It's just gone.
0: <laughs> he's just
2: gone. He's, he's got giant holes in his brain.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh oh boy. Al Capone. What a character. Alright, let's
1: <laughs> let's give this thing a score.
0: Uh what do you what are you giving Capone out of 10?
2: I wanna say in terms of like getting this movie financed and getting people attached to it where it's component of the syphilitic mind. It's a 10. <laughs> but like, that's insane. How did you do that? But like as an actual movie, it's like a three or two.
0: Yeah. I'm sitting in around a three and a half on this. Just,
2: uh, and it's, just, it, it's also mind blowing to me. The, the, the kind of storyline where it's like, Josh Trank is trying to come back. And it's like, how did he get this as his vehicle to come back? Like, is he really that far gone? Like, he, it's a movie with Tom Hardy about Al Capone. Like, I'm pretty sure he didn't have trouble getting funding. And I don't... He should have trouble.
0: <laughs> you mean just because of his previous work or because of this, like, this script and the concept of both. this movie?
2: It's a couple. Yeah, it's like both of those things together. I mean, I, It's just insane to me.
0: I I, I feel bad for josh trank in in some regards because i feel like you know he had a hit with chronicle and chronicle was a great movie i still i still stand by that movie as being something unique and and quite good but then you you know he after chronicle and and by the way there's a uh, an article i can't remember what site maybe polygon um, that was written by Matt patches and it's this like really, uh, detailed sort of account of Josh Trank's career, uh, because Matt patches, I guess, followed him like for years and years and it's really, really fascinating to see like what happened in his career. And after Chronicle, you know, that movie was a hit that had a very low budget and made a shitload of money. And he had the opportunity to do pretty much whatever he wanted as far as like big, big Hollywood movies. I mean, he was being approached by Disney to do a Star Wars movie and he chose Fantastic Four. And Mm. evidently the movie that he made is not the movie that everybody saw. He there was some version of it, you know, director's cut or whatever that was, uh, was his own thing and then it, the studio got involved and made it what it was i don't think i ever saw the 2015 fantastic four but everybody thought that, that was it for him like that was the end of his career but five years later he's he's back with this uh this passion five project of later, his.
1: He's,
2: he's back with his passion project and i'm going over wikipedia which i mean, take that with a grain of salt. The budget of this movie is $20.6 Like, <laughs> I don't think you have to worry about, like, a quote-unquote comeback for Jeff Trent. Like, he's still able to make a movie with $20.5 million. Right, budget. right. It's but not... He's still pulling start Like, it's not... He's not doing that bad. Like, it's not,
0: it's not necessarily a comeback because he never left. Yeah, like, it's not left. like he was blacklisted
2: or anything. Yeah. And it's just... It's crazy to me that you have... You know, actually, talented filmmakers out there that do disappear and don't get opportunities, not even close to $20.5 million, you know, big budget things, and they're just forgotten about.
0: Most of them and women. Come out with, yeah,
2: most of them women were minority filmmakers. And then, you know, he comes out with this with Tom Hardy starring, $20.6 million budget, and people are like, oh, if only. Hopefully, this works out for Josh Trank, and he finally get back on track. But he never went anywhere. He went from Fantastic Four to this. Come on. Yeah,
0: and to, to be clear, Josh Trank has nothing to do with the fact that like female and minority directors yeah. don't get yeah, the same the way. same level of you know acceptance and you know re- retries in the industry. It has it has nothing to do with him. And frankly, like I hope that. I hope that Josh Trank does have a career. I I don't want to, you know, wish a failing career on anybody. Yeah. yeah. And
2: I'm not saying that. And it's not Josh Trank's fault that, you know, that was a a storyline that was going with with this movie. You know, it's like, oh, come back. Come back, kid. You know, he has no control over that. It's just such an odd, such an odd, you know, storyline to go with media-wise.
0: Yeah, I I completely agree. But... I would recommend reading that that article from Matt Patches. It's it's uh, really really fascinating, very in depth.
2: I, yeah, I'm gonna have to read that because I'm just interested in it. You have, like you said, kind of unlimited opportunities. Why would you pick Fantastic Four?
0: He thought that that would be sort of the most interesting because it's it was like re like sort of rebooting this this property that was laying dormant for several years. And unfortunately it just didn't, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Uh, all right. That is Capone. Let's move on. Talk about someone watching. I think it's my turn this week. Pretty. I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, I don't have a whole lot. We took last week off. Uh, so I, I, but, but really I only have a few things. Um, the first thing that I'll mention is Gretel and Hansel. This is the uh, horror movie that came out earlier this year directed by Oz Perkins and uh, you know it's, uh, it's sort of uh, sort of cashing in on the recent trend of this uh, kind of folk horror that we've been seeing with movies like The Witch being successful mm-hmm. and this, this movie's like it's like The Witch but for a mainstream audience that's that's yeah, sort of yeah. sort of what we're working with here uh visuals uh some very striking visuals in this and that's really all i can say about it like there's there's some good visuals in here but the movie itself it uh, was a bit bland for me like i was just not really not really on board so much i thought it was going to be a little bit of a kind of a spin on the fairy tale but it's not i mean it pretty much follows the, the the classic tale beat by beat and i guess as a result i found it to be a little bit lackluster uh, sophia lillis is is the she plays the lead as as gretel you'll remember her from the it movies but she's really good in it and there's a couple fun little twists that happen but overall it's uh you know no, nowhere near as like Atmospheric and sort of disturbing as something like the witch, but I don't know, middle of the road for me, Hansel, or, yeah, Gretel and Hansel, middle of the road
2: well, they switched up the names you see mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: yeah that was the that was the that was the twist <clears throat> uh I got to see cane river nineteen eighty oh, and-
0: yeah, I know you were excited about this one.
2: I was, and it's, it's part of the, the May films on Criterion Channel. This is one of them. So this got a remaster recently. is film up on Criterion Channel now. You can watch it. This is the only, unfortunately, the only movie that Horace B. Jenkins directed. Uh, he passed away, like, a little bit after this movie was finished. And it's set entirely in Louisiana. And it's kind of this... It's a romantic drama, but it's very, very different in terms of like a romance movie. It's very mature. Uh it's not sappy, it's not sentimental. It's just there's fantastic chemistry between the two leads, uh Tommy Myrick who plays Maria and Richard romaine who plays Peter. And he's a Creole so that has this this underlying uh, uh, tension to it. It's him being a Creole, her being black. Um, so they have, they're at odds with the the family histories in Louisiana. And so like her family doesn't want him to be around. She can't see him, that type of thing. And, uh, it's just, it's a really sweet movie and it just really works. It looks phenomenal. I mean, it's Louisiana. The locations are fantastic. Had this, you know, realism aspect to it, camera work wise, especially when they go into like New Orleans. I mean, it's just, it's it's a good time, 90 minutes, You're just enjoying yourself. It's just, it's a pleasure.
0: Nice. And that's, I
2: mean, uh, the chemist the chemistry between the, the two, it's just, I mean, it's just fun watching them and it's hard not to root for them. You know what
0: I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Kane River. That is uh, on Criterion Channel and that is a remastered version. Did you mention that? I can't remember if you said that at the top, but. But that is a newly yeah. remastered version.
2: Yeah, newly remastered. I don't think it was ever released, honestly. Oh, you know what? I, I, think, be wrong.
0: Yeah, I think you're right, actually. I think you're correct in that. I remember reading it's that. unfortunate. Yeah. a really good
2: movie.
0: Check that out. Uh, I saw Brain Damage from 1988. This is directed by Frank Lauder. Never saw this movie, uh, believe it or not. And this played play on uh, Last Drive-In last week. And uh, so... Got a chance to check check this one out. Now I am very familiar with Frank Henenlotter's filmography. In fact, I saw all of his narrative features, and I saw all but I think one of his documentaries. So I'm very very familiar with uh, Frank Henenlotter. I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of his. And Brain Damage for me is probably my second favorite of of his movies. I think Frankenhooker is still probably number one. Uh, just because Frank and Hooker is, is so much fun. And uh, Brain Damage is about, it's sort of an allegory for drug addiction in New York City during the 80s. And it's about this guy who has this like, this sort of pa- parasite. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost like it's like a little creature. The external brain that attaches to him and it has this little like needle thing that comes out of its mouth and it can inject your brain with this chemical and cause these like sort of euphoric hallucinogenic effects. And he becomes addicted to this creature's brain juice and the creature needs to eat other people, other people's brains to, to sustain itself. Uh, it, the effects work is, you know, not great, but still still very fun. And uh, it's 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 a pretty pretty good movie. Lots of New York Grime, eighties New York grime in this. So I, I really appreciated that about it too. So yeah. Can definitely recommend checking out Brain Damage.
2: With you being almost a completist with his work, have you seen his the music video that he directed for RA the Rugged Man?
0: no i saw i saw the movie the bad biology movie which was i think written by r.a the rugged man does it have oh, who, was it tied into that movie maybe maybe perhaps yeah uh there's this movie called bad biology is came out in 2008 and it was about uh it was really bad man i like just this weird mm-hmm. sex movie and it was just I remember it yeah. I remember it being really awful.
2: Apparently it's not a part of the, the movie's soundtrack, but I just checked out the movie soundtrack and it, interesting. Interesting. <laughs> and the the lead actress.
1: It's interesting.
2: Yeah. Like my trip. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Uh Vinnie Paz is in the movie, I believe, if I remember correctly.
1: Wow. Incredible.
0: Ari the, yeah. Ari the Rugged Man is in the movie, too. Oh, boy. It's interesting. I would not recommend it. <laughs> even even if the soundtrack <laughs> might be like, oh, okay, maybe I'll check that no. out. It did, no. no, don't.
2: Trust me. I look up the songs on YouTube. I'll find them. Yeah. If I want to hear them. Uh, I watched uh, on Connect Media uh, Kurt Walker's latest. Kind of like a hybrid documentary narrative thing going on here. Uh, S01E03, which I guess would be Season 1, Episode 3. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how you say it, okay? I, I never heard anyone say it. So it's this, uh, like, a virtual love story set in Vancouver, New York, and then the, the world, the online world of the, the Final Fantasy online game. I forget which one that was. Where it was just the mass- massive online world yeah. that they had, so it's in the like the dying days of that. So it's this like group of friends that like always you know got together on within Final Fantasy. So there's a lot of Final Fantasy uh, gameplay in there, and it's before like the sh- the servers are shut down. So there's the, like throughout the movie, there's kind of this like countdown of when the servers are going to go offline, and then you know game's gone. So a lot of it is, you know, like, what are they going to do once the game's gone? Should they meet up in real life? That type of thing. And then, you know, it's intercut with stuff in Vancouver, stuff in New York, them hanging out, all their friends and stuff like that. And it's just, it's a lot like his, his first movie, Hit to Pass, which kind of was this, what seemed like very small, like documentary, but kind of like opened up layers and layers and layers and kind of shown this, this like strong sense of community. And it's pretty much what's going on here in this movie, too. And a lot of great imagery, a lot of great, like, experimental work going on, great music. And, like, the interesting thing is at the end, the end credits is just, like, everyone that worked on the movie or was in the movie. It's just kind of, like, still shots or, you know, the camera's rolling and it's just them, like, hanging out and kind of, like, waving to the camera. That's kind of, like, how the, the end credits work. And then, you know, it has this this title card at the end. It's just kind of like, Hey, you know, thank you for everyone who worked on it and stuff. It was made for it by friends, for friends and that type of thing, which essentially kind of like makes it immune to criticism. Cause it's just, it's just a bunch of friends making a movie together. Mm. But I, I thought it worked pretty well and I would definitely, I would definitely recommend it. It's only like a little under an hour. Okay. And
0: that's season one, episode three spelled out, like guess. So zero one E zero three. And it was final fantasy 11 exactly. final fantasy 11. Okay. That was the online one. Go.
2: Which I like, I was kind of thinking about that watching the movie. It's like, that would suck. You know, they I mean, like all that time you have invested into that game. And then they're just like, well, we're shutting off the servers. Dead. Game's gone.
0: Yeah. I mean, like you can only hope that like fan servers pop up, you know, like, That's, that's happened to some of those games where the servers get shut down. Like people will create fan servers that, that keep the game going. And I think that's, that's the best you could hope for. And that's actually a huge, that's actually a huge problem right now in, um, in video games is game preservation. You know, a lot of these games are online only games and what happens when the servers get shut down? These games effectively is, cease yeah. to exist, and I think that yeah. that is that's like a huge, that's a huge problem because, you know these these are a, a lot of people consider video games, and myself being one of them, to be, consider video games to be a work of art, and to have something like that just cease to exist, I find to be very troubling. Yeah. So and that's
2: like built into this movie a little bit. You know, and it's, you know, about this, like, group of friends that met each other in this game. You know, they don't have contact in, you know, real life. You know, they're all across, you know, different parts of the world. And this is where they meet up and kind of hang out. And then now that's gone.
1: Yeah.
0: I saw Circus of Books. This is a documentary on Netflix. Uh, I don't have really too much to say about it. It's directed by Rachel Mason, and it's about her parents who run a bookstore in LA that is also a porn shop specifically a gay porn shop. So you have these two mm, somewhat conservative older Jewish parents running this hardcore gay porn shop in LA and they've, and they've run it for years and years and it's just about the history of the store and how they came to own it. And you know the the current status of the store because obviously a porn shop like this isn't really sustainable in an era where you can just get as much porn as you want for free. Mm-hmm. And so so they're thinking about shutting it down. And just kind of follows them around. And it's it's pretty light. It's pretty breezy. It's well done. It's well well produced. So I would I would give it a light recommend. You know, if you're looking if you're looking for something entertaining on Netflix to to watch, I would say check out Circus of Books. Yeah.
2: Okay. All right. Uh, the other thing I watched is Feast of the Epiphany. So I got to check that out.
0: Yeah, I know you're really excited about that one too.
2: Yeah, There's a little bit of a letdown, not too much, but uh, the main thing that was kind of exciting for me in terms of this movie was I wanted to watch it. Is cinematography from Ashley Connor. And cinematography, great, fantastic, love it. Uh, the structure of the movie is interesting and like I admire it. And for the most part, it works. It's just kind of like what's contained in, in those, in those narratives, quote unquote, just a hundred percent didn't work for me. Um, so the way it starts off is like the group of actors kind of being interviewed for the roles or whatever. And then it's this kind of scripted scene of a dinner party where all these actors are getting together and having a dinner party right so the woman's kind of setting this up and doing all the cooking and all that stuff she goes to the market and where she gets her like her produce from at the end of the first scripted scene this dinner party comes to an end comes to a close it shifts and becomes kind of this like slice of life documentary of that um farm that she got the produce from so then, it just kind of follows that farm, all the people working on it, and what they do day in day out, that type of thing. So it's like half scripted uh, drama and then documentary on the back half, and it's it's okay, mm. it's all right. There's some there's some good moments in there, but I don't I don't know if it's gonna have a lasting impression.
0: Uh, that's Feast of the Epiphany. How is that How is that available? Vimeo On Demand. Vimeo On Demand. I like the synopsis here on Letterboxd. just says two narratives.
2: hmm uh, <laughs> Yeah. It, it's that. It is that. So. Nice. The only other thing I have is uh, Late Miserables, which is currently on Amazon Prime. This is the, the, the newest. Mm-hmm film with that title yes inspired by the 2005 riots in paris and uh it's it's really 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 familiar stuff well-worn territory with a a new cop showing up right from the from the rural areas from the country and now he's in the now he's in the city and he's tagging along with these two guys so it's of course it's another one of those essentially one day you know his first day. Tagging along, going around And they're giving them the lay of the land, how they do things. And of course they don't do things by the book, if you can only imagine, right? They kinda have their own system going here. And uh they do some questionable things, if you can believe that, them being tops and all. And he's kind of like in this weird place where he's like, Oh, you know, these are these are my superiors,
1: can't
2: can't overstep the bounds, but at the same time he keeps being, you know, kinda tested and like, what's he gonna do? And uh you can imagine uh how it all plays out. It plays out like every movie that's like this, which it feels like there's tons of these and it's nothing special outside of it being the French version. Mm, mm-hmm. But uh yeah, they they have an incident, you know, involving a, a minor. They make a mistake and then they try and cover it up and all that. And it's just like I said, it's it feels pretty much like all those movies that have ever existed, training day. That type of thing, mm-hmm. same beats, same type of thing.
0: All right, I don't mind. Did I kind of did I miss
2: that one then? Yeah, and I mean, if you're into that kind of thing, you know, like if you like those movies and you want to see more of those movies, it's a good version of it, right? But I'm just, I've seen enough of it, and you know, it's nothing, nothing new to me.
0: All right, let's talk about what we have on VOD this week. On the 18th, we have American Trial, the Eric Garner story. This is uh kind of an interesting one. I don't think it's it's probably not going to work, but what it is is it's a mock trial. Okay. That you, that uses uh I believe like real lawyers, real uh court officials and such and carries out a trial if, if in if the uh n y p d officer who killed Eric Garner if he was brought to trial, as we know he wasn't, but this is like you know hypothetically what would happen if this guy was brought to trial hmm. and I think like Eric Garner's family is involved with it as well, yeah, it says a mock trial with the real players with the exception of the actor who plays the, uh, the officer. The film depicts the trial that would have followed Gardner's death had, uh, Pantelio been indicted. So, I mean, it's kind of a cool experiment, I guess.
2: Maybe. Can't say I'm
1: interested though.
0: No, no, I'm not. I'm not. Then on the 19th, we have time warp, the greatest cult films of all time volume two horror and sci-fi I talked about this series uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's it's not great, but it covers a lot of different titles. Uh, we have Ovid and the Art of Love. We have Chameleon. And then on the 22nd, we have The Lovebirds on Netflix. That's the comedy with Co- uh, Camille Nanjiani and uh, Issa Rae. Mm-hmm. I'll be checking that one out. I think we're going to be reviewing that on the show next weekend, actually. Yeah. Why not? Hopefully it's funny. You know, we could all use a good laugh God, I
2: hope so
0: Please Also in the 22nd we have Inheritance Uh, I think I'm going to be I'm going to try to cover that one too That's uh, some kind of horror movie Or dark thriller with Lily Collins And Simon Pegg Okay. A patriarch of a wealthy and powerful family Suddenly passes away Leaving his wife and daughter with a shocking Secret inheritance that threatens to unravel And destroy their lives No Heyo! Yeah, I'll be checking that oh. out. Uh, we have Diana, Diana Kennedy. Nothing fancy. This is a virtual theatrical release doc, documentary. We have Lucky Grandma. That's another virtual theatrical release. We uh-huh. have uh, we have Villain Fury Unleashed, starring Craig, what? starring Craig Fairbrass.
2: What <laughs> should I know who that is? Uh,
0: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who it is.
2: <laughs> the guy's name is Eddie Frank. <laughs> uh,
0: we have The Trip to Greece also coming out on the 22nd. This is the fourth and final entry in the Trip series. I enjoy the Trip movies. They're all pretty much the same, but like I'm okay with that. They're just sort of pleasant.
2: Will they do a Michael Caine impression?
0: It would be weird if they didn't. I mean, I, so I saw the trailer for this, and I did not see a Michael Kane impression in the trailer, but you know they got to do it. They're going to do it. They're going to do the dueling Kane impressions. Uh, yeah, I'll be checking this out for sure. We also have Joan of Arc. This is a virtual theatrical release, and we have Survive the Night. This is an action movie with Chad Michael Murray and Bruce Willis.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Bruce Willis is such a, he has such an interesting career now because he'll still do like bigger movies, but then you see him in these like super under the radar, Mm -hmm. like kind of VOD trash type movies. It's very strange.
2: He likes to keep busy.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, he's almost at Nicolas Cage level. I would say like not quite there yet, but like he's getting there where he's just pretty much doing anything. He's
2: he's, he's the, like the, the boring version. Of Nicolas
0: Cage. Yeah, pretty much.
2: It, it honestly feels like they're all the same movies mm-hmm. that Bruce Willis is doing. At yeah. least Nicolas Cage is doing weird ass shit.
0: True. Yeah. Yeah. We have Man and Camo, The Art and Artist. Uh, we have, mm-hmm. and then that looks like that's about it for VOD. On Blu ray this week, we have uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. That's in 4K. We got Onward. That's the Disney Pixar one. Danger Diabolic. 1968 this is this is getting a shout factory release now i'm very excited about this because i don't know if we've had like a proper blu-ray release of this movie and so i'm i'm very excited about it i don't know what the the features the bonus supplements are looking like for this but i'm hoping they're good because if they are good i'm definitely picking that up oh yeah Justice League Dark Apocalypse, which is spelled A P O K O L I P S.
2: I think
0: that's wrong. Apocalypse War, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. This is okay. one of these uh, DC animated movies. I like the Justice yeah, okay. League. I like the Justice League Dark series. I think it's a cool team. Like Constantine is in there, and Swamp Thing is part of that team. It's kind of a cool... So I might, maybe I'll, maybe I'll give this a look. The the DC animated movies are usually pretty, pretty good. Emma is coming out. Brahms, the boy two, The Way Back, mm-hmm. <laughs> The Woman from 2011 is coming out on Arrow. Uh, if you haven't seen The Woman, give give that a look. That that's uh, pretty pretty good. It's the Lucky McKee one. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Buffaloed from earlier this year is coming out. And that's pretty much pretty much it. That's, that's all I'm really seeing mm-hmm. here. What about Criterions?
2: Uh, we got one, and that's Dorothy Arzner's Dance Girl Dance from 1940. Pretty much no special features here, but I think this is mostly just the fact that uh, Arzner's movies are available now. She was the sole woman as a, a director in the Hollywood studio system during the 30s and 40s. Hmm. And also, if you have a criterion channel, like a large number of her films are on there. So I don't know if this is like the first of many to come or what, but there you have it.
0: All right, cool. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcasts at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse net and at filmpulse kevin. And if you have a minute, consider reviewing us on your podcast platform of choice. For Kevin Reichstrahl, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.